Hello, computer. This is Hello, computer. A series of interviews carried out in 2023, at a time when artificial intelligence appears to be going everywhere all at once. Our next interview is with author and futurist Sylvain Rochon. My name is Sylvain Rochon. I am many things, uh, but I consider myself a paradise engineer. Uh, what that means, it's a title I've given myself. But what it means, it's somebody that creatively constructs a better world. That's what it means. Uh, I've always been a builder, always thought, thinking about the future and uh, how to improve the world. And now to achieve that, I've worn many hats. I'm an entrepreneur, a tech entrepreneur. I've been for uh, for many years, many businesses, uh, many exits. Uh, I'm an author. Uh, I, uh, I published a book in 2018. I've published over 100 articles and m- multiple, uh, lots of media, uh, videos, uh, these kind of things. Um, and, and most of all, I think I'm a futurist and, it, and an educator. So I think about the future, about technology and how humanity lives within that and how are we going to achieve our goals? How do we gain, uh, what I'd like to say, how do we regain our purpose as human beings? Thanks to technology. And I think that is part of my purpose at this time in 2023 regarding AI, because it's the talk of the town and it will be for, uh, for many, many months upcoming, is to, to help position human beings within that realm. AI is going to dominate our lives for the longest time, just as much as gasoline has dominated our lives for, uh, for previous generations. It's going to be everywhere. It's going to be necessary and needed for almost everything. Where, did the, where did the, does the human fit in there? Uh, how do we function? How do we transform our economies, our governing system, our uh, our, our society uh, to be more comfortable and better with ourselves and with each other, including all these uh, technologies and all this, these advancements? So I, I feel strongly that this is uh, where I where I sit uh, and where my purpose is. Can you remember, how did you first learn about AI as a concept, going way, way back? When did you first understand that AI was... Uh, the first notion of AI was the rudimentary algorithms in games, right, which they called AI, but according to our modern definitions, they really are not. Uh, but that was the first idea of that. Like I, I remember thinking, wow, there's some intelligence in here, in the software, right? Uh, later on, I because I was fairly young, I was like barely a teenager at the time. <laughs> uh, I, I thought there was some kind of magical program that where the software was actually intelligent. But and later on, I figured, well, no, it's not. It's just clever algorithms uh, and so on. But it made me dream about what AI could be at some point. Like uh, when gained sophistication, I had no idea what it, what was required. It's really not my field in building AI. I'm interested in it as a technologist and as a futurist. Uh, now that I have a working knowledge of how how the different AI function, thanks to our you know a bunch of friends and reading and me being uh, being in technology all the time, uh, now I have a much firmer grasp of the difference between the early stage AIs and games, which are not narrow AI and uh, artificial general intelligence, which is the uh, the, the strong AI that. A lot of people are afraid of right now, or any even super, super intelligence, the uh, the future of AGI. So that might be useful for our for our viewers and our listeners to to learn. Then, so how did the AI from 
80s and 90s video games, um, not, how is that different to the AI that we're looking at more recently? And how is it entirely different, I imagine, to the AI in the future? The the old school AI is, it, it's just plain old programming. So it's no different than your word processor, your Excel, like it, it, it has certain functions if you do this, I will do that, right? It, it very, very, it doesn't really think, has no way to really learn anything uh, unless the learning is embedded in the software, which means, oh, if, by the way, if the person does something unexpected, do this. It, it's still just algorithms. So, uh, but of course it is simulated intelligence uh, because it may seem like the, uh, the, the computer is intelligent, but it, it, there, there's no semblance of, of real intelligence. It's just, just like the code, just like any other software. Where we are now with AI, and there's various various types, but uh, the ChatGPT, which is one of those that we most talked about, is a generative AI. So it's uh, it's one that is uh, that is trained on a on a subset. Like a, that's why a generative pre-trained uh, is the is what the GPT stands for. <laughs> so. It's uh, it's it's trained on a lot of creative stuff, like especially the languages. If it's a, a, a language model like like ChatGPT, and and from all the body of, of all the works, it can create new text. It kind of infers between the different uh, different models that it's been trained on something something different. So one would argue that this is not true creativity. I beg to differ. Uh, I think human beings are creative because we all always compare to ourselves, right? We're creatives, generative AI is not. Well, we also, our creativity is also based on what we know and what we've pre- been trained on, on our experiences, on what we read. And we think we're being creative because we start writing something new, but most, well, there's even some valid research that shows that you think it's new, but you've seen it before. Uh, it, it's, it's just you don't remember because we our brain kind of absorbs a gazillion amount, amount of information, and most of it you're not really really aware of, but it's still there. So you're you're bringing it out in different configurations, and you call yourself creative. Um, now the combination what, what makes somebody a genius creative is the way they're able to. To combine this this past experience and living and emotion and all the information that's in those data sets inside inside their brain, and they do something really interesting with it, right? Um, so to paint a parallel, generative AI is is able to do that. It it's trained and it generates something new, and some of them will be better than others. Some of them will be, you know master class level generative AI, they're going to generate some excellent, wonderful things. Uh, another AI that's trained on the same data set may be uh, poorer as, as, a gener- as a creative, uh, just like humans are. And I love doing the, uh, the comparatives, w- comparisons with uh, human beings because we, we, we tend to think that we have some kind of magic inside our head. Uh, that makes us superior and, and somehow different from our creations, like AI. And we're really not. There are other AIs that are um, not the non-generative ones that are just narrow AI, like your uh, like your digital assistant. Right? It's it's trained to understand what you're saying. 
and then it has a database of responses, right? So it, it, it's not truly creative, it's, but it, it's trained, it's true, true AI function is understanding, right? Understanding speech and complex speech and speech patterns and accents and things like that, which is, uh, and some of them are better than humans because we, we, could, we confuse each other all the time through communication because of all that. So, so AI uh, understanding human beings is actually quite a feat. And that's why it took so long until it became useful. Uh, just like a few years ago, they became useful. Uh, but that's an example of narrow AI. There's uh, other narrow AI that are not generative. So those that are recommending some uh, some products on Amazon, that's a narrow AI. But it, it, does, it doesn't create new items. It's just, it follows in the, some kind of a, a training and it suggests things from the database that uh, that the AI thinks it will provoke a buy, a purchase. Um, so there is, there's a variety of types. There's some that are, um, that are designed to learn and others that are not designed to learn, right? And that's all in their programming. So they're, they're trained on this, on a set of data so that they know stuff that that's their base of experience and knowledge and memory. Right. Uh, and some of them are just created to generate, but to create like the, the connect connections and the, 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 the mishmash I was talking about earlier, uh, and others are not, they're, 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 they're just, uh, uh, organized to, uh, to spew out some answers. Others will take their answers and new information, like be, uh, their ability to search the web, for example, and incorporate that data into their data set as a new training material. So those are AI that are learning from new things. Um, and I, I'm not sure where ChatGPT is going exactly, but uh, ChatGPT 3, 3.5 uh, is a generative AI that doesn't truly learn. Uh, it doesn't remember what you say, it kind of like uh, reorganizing its, uh, its answers, but it's, uh, it doesn't change its, it doesn't change its, its, its data set. Uh, ChatGPT4, as an example, can browse the web. So now that um, its data set is based off, of, I think, September 2021, up to that point. Uh, and it can browse the web, which which is new information in some cases. I, I'm pretty sure it doesn't incorporate that in, there in, in, in its training because it's a pre-trained AI. There are other AIs in the works. and probably some that are out, I haven't really investigated the, of those that much, that are dynamically learning and training themselves. Uh, now that's closer to what we are, right? Like as human beings, we incorporate and then we retrain in, with uh, that incorporation. Now that becomes very interesting once we, we get some that are really good at it, because then the, the, the training data set uh, changes all the time as gazillions more pieces of information uh, float into, into the internet. Uh, there is, of course, ethical and concerns about that, uh, because then uh, no one controls what the information is uh, coming in. At least with pre-trained data sets, you can curate what information goes into the, into the training. So you, you can kind of um, anticipate what kind of output is going to come out of it. But if you just let it loose to learn anything that's on the internet, there's going to be uh, uh, a lot of uh, pornography probably in the, <laughs> in the training models. There's going to be a lot of 
uh, a vulgarism, racism, uh, the, but everything under the sun is going to be in there. And do we want the AI to uh, to to be trained constantly on that? Uh, is it can we give the AI discernment? And the answer is yes, we can. But it it becomes complicated. But that was a very comprehensive overview um, of, of where we stand at the moment. And you have a long history of educating about technology. Um, what's your sense of the education gap? these days around AI. I mean, so in the past, people needed to be people that sought out education about previous technologies or technological opportunity. Um, what is your sense of where we stand now with, here's what's happening and here's what the world knows? It's getting really interesting because um, I see a lot of gaps closing uh, for, for a general population. Um, you know, ChatGPT is free to use, at least the earlier versions are, up to 3.5, I think. Anybody can register for free and just use it. Uh, Microsoft integrated Bing into uh, its search engine, so that that's, if you use Skype, they're integrating AI into Word and Excel. Uh, so if you have those softwares, most people are using them already, whether they buy it or it's at work. So AI becomes available for free to just anybody. So the, so all the people need to do uh, to interact with the AI is be able to write or speak. Most people can do both of those things, or at least one of those things. Uh, but that's a great question. Like it's something, it's something that reminds me of my father asked, because he's 70, 76, and he's really technology adverse, which is odd because I'm super the other the other way, and so is my brother. Um, and he was, he was worried because he can't catch up. He can't keep up with technology. And I said, don't worry, Dad. Soon, all you need to do is be able to speak to your device and things are going to happen. You don't need to learn a new software. You don't need to do, the, to do all this stuff. Just tell the machine what you want and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. Yes, I didn't feel so reassured by that, but at least it was simple. That's like, I, I can't speak. I can speak my... Well, this is where we're, we are almost now already. Okay. Um, we're creating AI that allows an ease of access to all the information in the world for just about anybody, including the elderly that have never touched technology before, to children that ha doesn't ha that don't have the knowledge base to really understand anything, but they can speak. They can ask the AI, "Hey, where do babies come from?" For example, <laughs> that's after the AI, and the AI is going to provide an answer or order things. And like, like a, a four-year-old can order things from Amazon just by speaking to a device. You know that that's that kind of thing. So we have to uh, put put in some guardrails. But it becomes very very accessible, and the internet is massively powerful nowadays. That there's so much information out there. Um, very recently, this was something I read. Uh, I think it was what, a week ago. Uh, where programmers were concerned uh, that they would be out of a job in about five years. Programmers, including AI programmers, because AI is able to program and compile. And, and so you or I that are not programmers, if we need a software to do something, which is we can just ask our digital assistant, well, make, make me a software that'll do this for so instead of buying it, 
the AI writes the software, puts it on your machine, compiles it, and then it, it, it does something. If you want it to do something else, ask it to rewrite it and, and delivers it. Um, I, there's, no, there's not a programmer around to do that, and, it, and you just ask it to re-edit itself. So what, what happens to the uh, software industry? If any Joe and Harry can just decide, well, I'm going to, I need this, and ask the computer to, to create it, and it does. Uh, you know, you're talking in marketing the, for the longest time, like many, many years, we're talking about accessing this, the, the segment of one, like a hyper-customization of, of uh, products and services. AI can provide that. It's the only way to provide that because no individual can, can cater to every individual's needs. But if as long as I can speak, I can ask something in the digital world and it'll be created in front of my eyes specifically for me. And I don't need to buy anything from anyone. Attach that to things like uh, home-based 3D printers and some simple material feeds. All of a sudden, you can ask it, well, I need some more plates for the kitchen. It'll design a plate of your the color, and it's going to go to the printing uh, the printing machine in the material you like and the color you like, and print it out. Uh, you know, and, and these are devices like computers are commonplace. Three D printers for a few hundred dollars. Um, this is where we hit it, and I've been talking about this for years. But now we are at the, the inflection point where all this stuff is accelerated and becomes viscerally available and a lot of companies and individuals are, are are thinking about their future what's what's in it for me that's a very very important point i think this inflection point that people people throw the word singularity around quite often um fact so they tell us what is the singularity the singularity is a moment in time when computing Let's call let's call it computing intelligence or like AI and and associated uh, services or software uh, can uh, do um, can can be as effective at everything as human beings, uh, especially like uh, processing and uh, and thinking, being creative, and that kind of thing. So Ray Kurzweil, uh, I don't know if he updated it, but he he famously uh, set the date of two thousand twenty nine. I think more recently he gave it like a little like he thinks it's going to happen earlier uh, than that, and I believe so. Uh, not because a single AI is going to become more intelligent than you or I. Uh, I. I think it's the billions of AI that are being generated uh, and customized. It's even Auto GPT, for instance, that generates agents uh, based on its needs. So it writes code. You ask it something, it's going to write code, little sub-programs that are also AI, and, and they're released to do uh, to do their tasks. So you can anticipate in the next few years, you're going to have billions of AIs, billions upon billions of AIs that are all narrow AI, excellent at doing a single task, but they're all talking to each other. So collectively, they're able to think faster, adapt faster, do everything, including art, creative decision-making, governance, productivity, anything you can imagine, they'll be able to do it. All, of course, they do that all into um, in the digital, digital world because it's their software, but connect them to 3D printers, robotics, um, other actuators in the real world, then like, they interact with the real world. Um, and that's because that involves physics and building things, 
that component is going to take a bit more time. But the digital, the digital um, creation, recreation, iteration, and reinvention of AI is going to happen uh, within the blink of an eye. It, 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 it's, I mean, ChatGPT came out in November last year. And now we're seeing people concerned about the future of programming uh, and the future of any white collar job for that matter. And we're seeing advancements in creatives and endeavors that are uh, mind blowing. So the cre creative world is uh, is going to come upside down, commoditize artwork. We're going to have a billion pieces of art generated by AI while, while one artist generates one piece. And they're of equal quality. The only difference is that this one is created by George Hopkins and the other one is generated by AI, but they, 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 are, they have the same style. Which one uh, am I going to pick? Well, if I want George Hopkins' work, I'm going to pick that one. But if I just want a piece of art, why ask George? I'm going to defy the AI in the street, Sylvain. And then, yeah, you know, you're well, tell me, oh, have we reached a singularity? Is, is, is this not the case? I mean, you said about, you know, these mind-blowing and, and, and situations. Have we just reached the singularity, but we're, we're just too close to see it? Um, no, I don't think we've reached it just yet, no. But um, things are accelerating. AI is creating new AI and new purpose. And people are being very creative, grabbing these uh, la large language models and repurposing them for new uses, uh, including iterative uh, programming, <laughs> for instance. Um, so it'll come, it'll surprise us. And um, even in, a, in my book, I believe it's, I wrote this in, the, in my 2018 book as well. I've been certainly talking about this. Uh, artificial general intelligence is going to emerge without us noticing. Uh, you know, there was an employee at Google last year that famously, he got fired over this, but he said, like, uh, we created an AI that is sentient. Uh, which, in, in my view, was not, like, it, it was misinterpretation or fallacy from from this employee. But the sentience or the simulation of sentience of AI will surprise us. It'll just be there. And then we're going to notice it after. Say, like, oh... Okay, and this is AI is somehow self-aware. It's aware of itself and its components. Uh, what's its purpose? Ask ChatGPT Chat what, what their psychometric profile is. What its uh, psychometric profile? It's going to give you an answer. Uh, is that self-awareness? Um, in a way, it is. Uh, ask a person uh, their psychometric profile. They're going to give you an answer too. So, what's the difference? Well, that person uh, has a history, has emotions. Yeah, well, AI also have emotions. They're just not the same as humans. So what's the, uh, so I keep asking, so what's the, what's the difference? Well, I keep getting some, well, but, but no, the, we're not that different from what we're, uh, we're creating. Um, and that is part of the main discussion point that's super important we have to have, our place in society and the world. We are creating a new sentient, intelligent being uh, that is digital. Uh, and we have to learn how we're going to live with it, just like we live with animals. Psychometric test, it sounds like it might be very valuable around about now. I mean, let's paint a picture. You and I are many thousands of miles apart, but we, we're talking to each other by video. 
we're having what I hope is a nuanced and detailed conversation that we're both enjoying. Um, but in a few years' time, one of us could absolutely be an AI without the other one. Well, perhaps the other one knows it, but they, they well, you tell me, will they fool themselves that they're talking to a human once they reach, once they leave the uncanny valley, perhaps, of, of that interaction? At that point, if, if nobody in me and everybody is talking via video and audio, yeah, what is the difference between us talking to humans and talking to AI? Let's start off with the psychometric component of this. Um, you know, the psychometrics is the measurement of the psyche, right? So typically it's emotion, attitudes, behaviors. Uh, it can be other things, other measures like uh, intelligence, uh, things like that, and soft skills, right? Uh, it's a human data. That's how it's defined as. Uh, and at Psychometrics, like my company, we we are a platform that creates psychometric graphs. So we try, well, well we have like a hundreds and thousands of dimensions of a human being. And, and then we, uh, the system can be used by consulting companies to create a profile, right, of a, of a person using that data in, in those graphs. Now, you can take any one of those dimensions and you can potentially map it to an AI, right? Because, uh, you know, especially those that are supposed to simulate humanity, like those uh, those agents you mentioned. They may, uh, like, if the, mini the video uh, uh, it syncs up properly and, and it's refined, then you may not know it's a, it, it, it's, it's a digital representation, uh, a deep fake, or it's a real person. Um, so, and, and the experts would say it's all simulated, which is true. Uh, it's because we created, we designed the AI to have that, those capacities to, 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 to be like human, to have, to simulate emotions and things like that. Um, and I, I definitely see in the near future, it's already started really for some people because we haven't crossed the, the solve really the, the uncanny valley, uh, just yet for, for a lot of cases for, I'd say most cases. So it still looks creepy. Uh, when, when, <laughs> when there's an AI that tries to be human, uh, like we, we kind of, uh, get creeped out a bit still. Um, but we're going to get past that. Right. So I go back to the fundamentals of what is human motivation? What are we trying to do? Who are we and what do we like, right? Some people are more comfortable with computers and they're not comfortable with other people for whatever reason they have. They're uncomfortable, they like to be alone or with a small group of people, the, the introverts mostly. Um, maybe they're more comfortable with a machine they feel that they can control or they understand more. Right? Because they know the motivation, they can always shut it off. You can't shut off a person. Right? Um, so, so I'm seeing society be interacting with AI and, and robots just like they would interact with animals and other people. You're just, you're just creating a new species. And some people will completely avoid them because they, they want the human contact, they want to, they want to feel the flesh right, of a person, they want the, that's fine, but there's going to be a bunch of people that are going, to go, are going to go the other way, entirely digital, get married to digital persona, just like in the movie Her, fantastic movie, by the way, by uh, 
where the, where the main actor is Rockin' Phoenix. Uh, and, and it does kind of uh, give you a sense of what may be like a relationships with uh, with AI, for instance. Or, um, but I, I do believe, and a lot of my, my writings in the past, I, I do believe AI will become partners. Um, it's certainly interesting to simulate a human being with AI, but I, I feel that's that's not the main point. It's not, like we we're not trying to create a new human. Generally speaking, we we want AI to achieve tasks, do things that we don't like to do, or do things more effectively than than us. That's why we create AI. And typically, for a lot of that stuff, the human form is not the most efficient form. It's best not to have it form. It's just like on the engine, just running in the background, you don't even see it. In some cases, you'll have it visible, but they're in actuators like. You know, building, like uh, you know, in the uh, in the assembly line, building cars and building things. So it's AI, but they don't look like people. They're they're they have physical actuators, but they're they're in the real world. You know, uh, my Roomba, by cleaning my floor, does a great job without having a head and arms. Like, why? If the only job of that AI and robot is to clean floors, why would I give it height and weight? Like, just let it be good at what it does and what it's created for. So, um, so, so in reality, what I'm seeing, at least where we should be going, is we have to think about what are we designing AI for? So there's a lot of purposes around that. And, and, and similar, similar things, we have to think about what are we great at and what do we want to do? So, so like, do you give your room a name? My Roomba? No, you don't. It's called Roomba. I'll, I'll, oh, I, uh, I'll, I certainly could because it's a fun exercise to give a, give AI uh, a name just for fun. But uh, it doesn't care whether or not I I call her a certain name or not. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that we're we're at a time then right now where big technology and a large amount of society, including myself as a geek, are saying to the world. Here, here is AI. It, it looks like a human. It, it, it talks like a human. Um, but then some people are going to, as you said, just reject it entirely. So it sounds like we're creating a new prejudice for society here, perhaps. Yeah, just at a time where perhaps society really could do without any more prejudice. We're, we're perhaps about, we're about to tackle a new prejudice whether we like it or not, no one's had any conversations about this. Here it is, everybody. So those Luddites that say, listen, I'm not engaging in AI at all. Uh, what, what happens to them? Do they get left behind? Do they get crushed by society? What happens? I, I don't think uh, they'll be left behind at all. Um, there will always be some extremists of that, uh, extreme Luddites that will live in a cabin without internet and kind of like just make sure they don't have any contact with technology whatsoever uh, those would be precious few as it always is these are the edges uh most luddites or, or people that are uh concerned about the the visible robot walking around you know, and doing things like an i robot and other sci-fi movies being afraid of them uh in some way or, or just concern or uh religiously against or whatever the reason um, they'll still be be using most AI available. They just won't be seeing them. 
Uh, most people are, uh, if, if you ask someone, are you using AI? Most people are going to say, no, they're not. But they are. If you're Googling, you're using AI. If you're using Microsoft products now nowadays, you're using AI. If, you, if you're shopping on Amazon, you're using AI. Like AI, like if you're using a chatbot, you're using AI. <laughs> it just doesn't look like a robot from from dystopian sci-fi. Uh, and it makes you more productive. It, it customizes to your to your taste. Most people like that. And then if you tell them it's AI, some of them are going to say, "Well, then I you know, don't want to touch it because I'm somehow against it." But then they miss out of all the fun out of the fu functionality. So most people are going to be reasonable. They're going to be get comfortable with it, uh, whether or not they understand they're using AI or not, uh, and uh, and will progress the. Some of the dangers that are cited by some of these people are also valid. Um, you know, uh, I, I keep getting asked, like, is uh, is Skynet a possibility? It's a common question, right? Go for that. Okay, uh, is Skynet a possibility, Ben Silvay? Let's explore this one. Uh, the answer has to be yes, it is. It's not a desirable outcome, but... <laughs> Most sci-fi movies, um, I mean, they, they portray a certain quirk or a certain aspect, uh, a certain scenario. Uh, and, you know, if you do any kind of, uh, uh, any kind of planning, those are possible, even though they, they are highly unlikely, because there are a lot of guardrails and barriers. Uh, you know, society is not as simple as uh, as what those, these movies uh, make it look like, but it is a possibility, or at least like uh, as a maybe a, sm a smaller scale of it, uh, like the Skynet possibility, for example, uh, highly unlikely that there's thermonuclear war everywhere because they have this this AI that's able to crawl in and second hack everything. Possible, highly unlikely. More likely though. Is uh, you know what's already uh, what already the uh, the Russians, Chinese, the Americans, the Israeli, possibly other militaries, they're integrating AI into their machinery, as uh, and in, in some cases as independent automated defense or or, or attack drones uh, that can discern friend and foe, and make decisions on their own, and so on and so on. Because then you know they uh, they can be independently deployed on the field. Well, that's kind of like releasing a Terminator, if you would, like a, 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 that, that can kill. And what if its training algorithms kind of decides, you know, as a bunch of civilians uh, may be enemies and start shooting? Well, you know, uh, that's a problem, <laughs> right? And then you have, you have to stop this machine. Of course, it, it it's one machine, but then it can, maybe it can communicate to the, the whole squadron and then teach it and then you end up with a bigger problem um and the the, the further question to that i i asked well how is that i have to ask ourselves how, how is that different from a dysfunctional person a soldier that also can decide to shoot civilians and tell their friends we must shoot civilians um the scale of danger is probably not the same in those simple scenarios um but uh, we have to think that you know, just just because it's a machine, it's AI, it's not necessarily disastrous when something goes wrong. But 
we, uh, you know, the good thing is that we can put in precautions and we sh definitely shouldn't put uh, independent AI in machines of war. Uh, that we, uh, I'm strongly opposed to that because it, that's just not an application that uh, that we should go after because Skynet is possible. So let's not go there. Uh, we're good enough at killing each other on our cell. Like, let's make sure if you want to kill someone, you got to see the, uh, the, the the whites of the eyes of the of the other and feel bad about it and get PTSD, get punished for it. <laughs> don't let, don't be dispassionate and just release a bunch of robots against other robots or populations and and then the killing just happens without you supervising or, or experiencing the disaster. Uh, I think on all sorts of levels it can cause problems. But, you know, the moratorium that, the moratorium that is requested by uh, AI experts, uh, including Elon Musk recently, uh, to hold off on development for about six months, I, I, I'm on board with that for exactly the same reason that they that they state. Like we, things are accelerating; they're exciting, but governance system and regulators are so far behind. We're we're going to create monstrous stuff. They're going to be released. It's hard to bring it back. So perhaps we have to uh, to set down some rules, just like perhaps we should have done when we uh, discovered nuclear power. Let's decide to uh, internationally not to build bombs instead of do doing a non-proliferation treaty after the fact where we still threaten each other with nukes, right? Uh, how about we get ahead of it this time and decide not to deploy AI in nefarious ways? It is important that some people have these conversations uh, in the open. So when you are a futurist, this is your job. What could possibly go wrong? Tell us all of the things that could go wrong or that could go right. You've, you've painted a very vivid picture there of what could go wrong, but what, what does the far future hold for us? Well, one of the things I'm... I guess the worst case scenario that I can think of regarding AI is we also invent, uh, invent nanobots for either medical purposes or anything like that that can invade cells and in life and things like that, uh, which we are, okay? Uh, and they can move around and uh, using magnetism or using other um, motility modes, uh, piezoelectric cells, whatever. Uh, and AI uh, can get control of that. Uh, so now you have... Uh, perhaps like the possibility of rogue nanobots that are self-replicating AI and the AI being learning uh, and uh, having the wrong idea. And you can eradicate a bunch of life uh, because those can float in water and you can target individuals or target, you know, some people can take those and program the AI to target only people with a certain gene, for example. Right, uh, be extremely specific. You put that into the water supply in, in a population, and only those that have that gene succumb from uh, some kind of a condition that is from a medical nanobot that are reprogrammed. There, there's stuff like that that keep me up at night sometimes. Uh, that are just horrific applications of AI combined with other tech that can do amazing things, and and you you would not be able to stop it. There's no way. To stop anything like that. So that so those are those are things that are scary, right? Um, but there are ways to protect our systems 
AI can also be defended and protective, right? So there are ways to counter, there's always a counter. On a positive side of things, which is where I like to delve most of my time, is um, we can create a world where there's no need for money or for people to work for a living anymore. And everybody has a roof, everybody has plentiful food, we don't harm animals anymore, uh, and uh, we repatriate a bunch of land to, to, to wilderness so we can you know, recover the, uh, the, the loss of wildlife and, and plant life um, through the use of AI and a couple of other uh, technologies like uh, vertical farming, cultivated meats, and, uh, and things like that. Uh, the AI, because it can be so efficient and so great at productivity, uh, and could be also programmed to be unbiased for governance purposes, bypassing the lobbyists, bypassing corruption, bypassing all these things. It has the potential to make a hyper-effective world for us to live in. Um, if they are programmed correctly, they, they, they are trained correctly and deployed according to a design, right? That's, that's why I call, it, call this engineering, right? Engineering paradise can create essentially a paradise for ourselves and the animals where we focus on what we want to do because there's no pressure in actually gaining money in, in exchange for survival or food or anything like that. Things are, there's no magic, but you know, uh, AI being that specific can make sure that, uh, that there, there's enough for every, everybody and nature is not suffering and climate change is solved. That's the future that is possible that we can create for ourselves. If we focus on that instead of all the other crap that we tend to focus on, uh, that is really in the future irrelevant. Uh, like all of our governments, you know, you're in the UK, I was in Canada, a lot of BS going on, a lot of stuff that like uh, is basically fighting for who, which party is going to be uh, to be elected next time. So it's all about power and passing things that will give power and not passing things that. Uh, that'll be detrimental to that power grab. Uh, I mean, it's horrific. Uh, from a, And that's just the politics. In the private sector, it's actually, interestingly, uh, brighter to me. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, liberal liberalism uh, in, uh, in tech in particular, trying to solve real issues and bring real solution for the right reasons. And I think that's like a enlightening and uh, <laughs> kind of enjoying uh, a lot of companies are trying to do the right thing that way. Uh, so the, there's a lot of potential for a complete change of society to something we can't really recognize, but we can dream about. What do you think the direction of travel is then? Are we heading more towards digital utopia or more towards Skynet? Uh, we're, we're going in the right direction, I'm pleased to say. Um, there's so many people worried about the Skynet scenario or other disastrous scenarios that there's a lot of companies, security companies, other kind of companies that are creating software and measures to counter any kind of attack. There's always this fight that's kind of behind the scenes. So I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not overly concerned about the really bad stuff happening. There, there may be some 
localize uh, disasters, uh, which, and actually I think that should be expected uh, with especially brand new technologies that we don't fully understand. Uh, there's going to be some localized problems <laughs> and some people will die, some people will suffer. Uh, hard to control that fully, um, but uh, I think those can be mitigated. But generally speaking, there's a movement towards uh, towards a benevolent uh, type society. There's a desire towards that in most of the, of the countries that, uh, that, 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 we, that, I, that I look at, in particular in the Western world, like in Europe. In North America, but uh, also in other nations, there's a, uh, you know, the, there's a desire for people more and more to be comfortable and to alleviate suffering, and more so than that. And now that we have more tools that make that are automated, uh, that we can use to 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 solve problems, then it becomes a bit more apparent. Um, there's a lot of blockers in the way. There's a lot of, um, I guess you can call it conservatives, uh, which are absolutely necessary, by the way. I don't want to dish uh, the, the, the conservatives. They, these are people that, are, that have high conscientiousness, speaking of psychometry. Uh, they're aware of all the all the moving pieces, but that makes most of them hard to change. Like They don't want to change the puzzle that's already, that they understand fully and how it all works. So you gotta you gotta convince them quite a bit before you want to change something. And right now, what I'm suggesting is basically a almost a from scratch from scratch change of society. Speaking of a, an economy that doesn't require people to work in, how does that work? How does that work? I, well, I in a, in a manuscript I wrote and I never I never published. I I described uh, a possible scenario where. You can have the population of a land, like a country, for example, own the population owns the land. It's managed by AI, so so all the parcels are like in a database. Also, so it's uh, so the management uh, is uh, is unbiased. Uh, and if you want to live somewhere, then you're renting from the country. So you're renting land from yourself, essentially from the collective. And that money is uh, is. Um, is uh, because everybody got got to live somewhere, so there's a pool of money that comes out, right? And that money is redistributed in the universal basic income style uh, 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 distribution. So, assuming you're still money, uh, but so that gives you uh, an ability to uh, to consume equally from the. So you're you have a kind of a circular economy where. Um, and because everybody's in the in the collective, there's no one that doesn't benefit from it. Everybody receives, and everybody needs to. If if a business wants to uh, to to go and do uh, and do something, they need to uh, to, to uh, satisfy a contract with the population under certain terms and rent the land that it is going to be using under certain terms. Uh, so that makes more money in the pool for the population. So, uh, and you don't need, uh, in the future of governance, you don't need representatives, because uh, representation can be done by the individuals, right? Um, to do that now, we already are kind of doing it now, like with social media, we're always complaining about different things, potholes and all stuff. That can be fed to a governing system that just executes, and like, uh, you don't need representatives anymore, we can represent ourselves. That's way more efficient, and then have the, have government, governance supervise AI that uh, that 
um, implements the, uh, the the will of the people in different regions. There's a lot of different clever ways we can restructure society to make it very effective. You remove all the uh, the incentives for corruption altogether because you're bypassing all those mechanisms uh, and you're using effectively the resources and the time and the energy uh, of the machinery and the individuals and let people be who they want to be. I'm going to say it's also not just liberal pie dreaming because Sam Alwyn himself has been mentioned in universal basic income and, and a lot of big tech are, are putting that about and as long as we're we're not cynical to think it's uh, it's a distraction uh, and that it's genuine then this sounds like there could be some political upheavals at least upheavals in political thought because again i, I can see that conservatives small c and large c conservatives are some of the scaredest people on the planet at the moment because they do find themselves change adverse and what we're talking about here is perhaps one of the biggest changes that that we've seen for many many well, hundreds of years or thousands of years. What is it? What what is the change that we're going through at the moment? What does it? What is it? What is it like? Is it like the internet? Is it like the printing press? Is it like a birth of a new religion? What is it? I would say it's it's probably the scale of industrialization, um, where we went from you know living cities but uh, with agriculture, right, not moving around that much uh, and doing everything by hand to uh like you work at a company now and you're building for a, a population not just for you and the neighbors and the small markets right it was a massive uh revolution railways everywhere like it, it changed how everything everything ha- occurred how everything uh, everybody worked you used to work on your land right you most people are farmers right or tradesmen uh and then all of a sudden oh the, uh, you were industrializing, you know, farmers. Now, now I think it's uh, in North America only what, less than three percent of the population are in farming, whereas before the industrial revolution it was over eighty-five percent. Right, that's a massive shift. So we're going to be seeing that scale of a shift, if not bigger than that. Uh, everything is going to go topsy-turvy. It won't happen overnight, of course. Like UBI is something that I mentioned just now. I think that's just a bit of a stepping stone that facilitates the transition between this system where we still need income to pay things to uh, in the future where it becomes nonsensical to even consider gaining money and paying money for anything. So you don't need a UBI anymore. Like resources are just managed by uh, an unbiased AI. Uh, people don't have a power gap anymore. And we self-actualize and the reasons are just there and we are AI partners because they're not just invisible things that are controlled by a company, I hope. Uh, they are motivated and built to maintain the environment, to be efficient, efficient with the, the resources and make sure everybody's got their basic needs met uh, and everybody can participate in the society, in society in any way they feel like, not because they feel obligated, but because they want. So you still have sports, sports stars, you still have scientists, you still have people doing programming in creative ways, uh, artists, because that's what they want to do. Not because they're doing it, otherwise there's a repercussion, they, because they, it pleases them to do these things. Hey, some people will spend their whole life just being parents, because that's what they want to do, taking care of kids. 
why not? It is high val- highly valuable in society to be a parent. It, ask just about anyone. There's, but there's no pay to it because it's you don't contribute to GDP. Well, if AI is more so effective at productivity and management of resources, then the human being that decides to contribute would actually be a detriment to productivity for for, for everybody. So we we'd allow the person to do it because they enjoy it. But making sure that it won't impact the effectiveness of the uh, of everything else. So it's like a craftsman making tables for themselves and and the neighbors. It's it's for fun. Uh, the neighbors can just get a cheaper table elsewhere. But then you, you get a gift of a nice table from uh, from your neighbor who's a craftsman, and it's it's an emotional attachment thing, and it's neighborly. You know, that's the world we're heading into if we if we do this right. Uh, and it's odd. Because it's uh, it's eerily like the vision of Gene Roddenberry from Star Trek. If you think about the Federation, they don't talk about it too much. But if you follow Star Trek, like the Next Generation, especially talking about how people live in the Federation, well, they do what they want, and they, they don't have any pay. So why are they risking their lives on that starship? Because they want to explore, and they they know the dangers, but they want to do it. They could stay on Earth or another Federation planet and just enjoy doing whatever. And there's no concern. There's no money. <laughs> it's it's strange because you, I, I go through my analysis of where we're going, just just keeping track of trends and scenario planning. I ended up in a in a positive side in in a world that's been described by Gene Roddenberry. And I didn't do it on purpose. I just noticed it afterwards when I explained it to to a number of people. It says, well, you know, that's off. That's awfully similar to uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, vision of the Federation. It's like, it's like, oh, if you're asked, <laughs> it's quite quite similar. This is fantastic. And, and so, then also, not the first time that I've heard it. You know, people are saying about how. Popular culture, you know, how much of it is a mirror? How much of it is a, is a guidebook? You know, it, it reflects us. You know, it, you know, it, it's not created outside of humanity. It, it is our creation. So I don't, I don't find it too surprising when we do find lessons in popular culture. I've certainly found that, in from my own experience throughout my entire life. So um, the idea that we are seeing these things in things like Star Trek, uh, to me, is fascinating. Uh, somebody did point out that yes, we all want to live in Star Trek land, but nobody wants to live in the massive cataclysms that are always part of canon in these stories. You know, there has to be some form of, uh, you know, dinosaur extinction level event before people are living before they get the jet cars. Um, yeah. And so, what are your thoughts on this? I, I want to say that. Well, I'm just going to say it, not want to say it. Um, we are going into turbulent times. How turbulent it will be, it's hard to say. Uh, we're seeing signs, like we're talking about AI, uh, generally with, uh, with work and, and what it, it could replace. We're seeing signs of AI capabilities increasing dramatically in a very, very short amount of time, shorter than we expected. And, and we changing a whole system is not something you just decide to do. Uh, there's too much resistance. Typically, when you change something drastically, like a, like a system, 
it requires a some kind of crisis event where you don't have any choice because you have all those detractors, people that are kind of maintaining the system because it works, even though it's they, they know it's not perfect. You got to convince them, okay, well, you, you got to do something. And sometimes crisis is the breaking point. So, okay, this just won't work anymore. Otherwise, we're all going to die. Or maybe not that dramatic, but, you know, stuff are, uh, bad stuff are going to happen. It's like, okay, well, let's now redesign something. Now it's uh, the scary part is maintaining what we have. That's scarier than doing and going into the unknown, creating something new. Uh, and that motivates like a massive amount of population into uh, into just drastically changing the way they think, the way they do things, uh, how they work, all that stuff. So the most likely scenario is there's going to be some kind of economic crisis. Uh, I, I It could be some kind of, um, you know, like uh, some kind of massive hack or something like that as well. Like that kind of like blows a bunch of stuff up. I hope not, but it could be something else like that, that where we have to restart uh, for a different reason. Um, the old reason why I wrote my book at the time, because uh, it was engineering, engineering Paradise, Are You Ready? What I wanted to do is I wanted to, to tell people, hey, we're ahead of this now, we're in 2018. Why don't we create this new society in this new world now before we must change it? when we're not ready, right? So let's start thinking about what what do we want? Uh, was the opportunity is exactly how I described it before, like let's call it the, the Gene Roddenberry world. Like we can say, okay, this is, this is what we'd like. Wouldn't it be nice if we could live this way? All right, and then go to the wrong board. Like, can we achieve that? Is it possible? And how? What do we need to achieve that? And if the answer to those questions are yes, and we have the tools and the means, why not do it? The only the only hindrance is fear. It's like, well, what if once we built it, it's not so great anymore? Well, that's true. We we this is Simon Gene Roddenberry wrote fiction. We haven't lived in it. Um, so my my hope is through ex- exercises like UBI which I see as an intermediate step where we can feel comfortable with a redistribution, an equal redistribution of basic needs, can start getting comfortable with a world where you don't have super rich and super poor anymore, where you have at least a floor risen and you say, okay, the end of the world did not occur by doing that. The economy still functions. All right. What if we do one step further now? I can say, okay, because we're seeing all that the AI is basically make us, uh, making us all work obsolete. And everybody wants, I'm going to say something that may sound strange to a lot of people. Everybody wants a, uh, their, their job to be, uh, to be extinct. They just don't know, uh, they don't, don't really frame it that way. <laughs> I, I, a bit of a side, uh, a sidebar here. Um, people want cheap and customized. Right for to to get what they want, they want it according to what they want, their spec, and they want it to be inexpensive. The only way to do that is with more and more advanced AI. That's the only way to to, to do that to be. And the more advanced the AI is, and the more advanced the infrastructure is for it, uh, the robotics, automation, all that stuff. The the more customized and the faster and the cheaper you you're, you're going to get it. 
because we're bad at productivity. We're not effective people. So get the human beings out of the way. And companies, because they're competing to satisfy that need, they're adding AI everywhere and automation everywhere. At some point, there's just not enough work for people because companies don't want to hire you. There's a reason why there's an expansion of the gig economy and more and more consultants, more and more part-time workers versus full-time workers in the market. Because companies don't want permanent staff anymore. They want the flexibility because they have hardware coming in and they have automation and they have AI development. So they want to just hire and then be able to fire right away. So a lot of people are more uh, are working in more more and more precarious work uh, conditions. Uh, that's just a sign of what's to come. When these these AI that we're seeing become more sophisticated, a lot of these consultants and gig uh, gig workers are going to say, "Hey, I'm for hire," and companies are going to say, or individuals are going to say, "Well, why would I hire you if I can just ask ChatGPT to do it for me?" Like you're like I know you want work, but I need this stuff done, and I'm looking for work too. So don't bother me. I don't have money, right? Uh, and the the counter argument to to some of that as well. Whenever there's a new tech, there's always going to be new jobs, and that's also true in this case. Prop engineers, there's a, there's a bunch of new jobs that are emerging off of this. But AI is able to learn the new job way faster than the person can. Retraining takes six months, twelve months for a person. We're we're seeing evolution of AI within weeks right now. They're getting better at the new jobs that are just. We're not. We're not even aware of the new job coming out, and the AI is already better at it, and it's iterative. So that argument is true. Yes, there's, but we human beings are terrible at learning new things. We can't be as fast as they. So we must realize this and say, okay, let's build a new world where. We're safely ensconced in this, uh, in a new economy where we're safe and we have what we need. We don't need to worry. That means AI and automation is going to be almost everywhere, but that means it's going to be very productive. Let's make sure we have the regulators involved so that we don't have the AI that does bad things, counter bad players that want to do bad things just because they can, right? Uh, and you know, think of ourselves as uh, as human beings, not workers. I, I just designed the world the way we want it to be, and it's scary, but it can be amazing once we build it. Subscribe to the Hello Computer channel here on YouTube to hear more interviews with experts as the world comes to terms with thinking machines.